It's a new day and opportunity is in the air. This is Philip with Soul Insights and you are tuned in to Good Morning Market, where everyday businesses are empowered to lead their market with the latest in market news, insights, and strategy. Today we are going to go from what your brand is to the person for whom your brand exists. You've heard me discuss the importance of hyper-focus on your ideal customers before, but I've yet to discuss how you identify this Goldilocks customer so you can orient your business towards them. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that changes now. Folks, we're going to summarize how you can get the right customer data to use as a foundation for your entire marketing program and strategy. Really excited about this one, but before we get into that, let's wrap up what happened in your business market this past week. All right, this week's market roundup. First piece of news coming from Savannah CEO, but it's national news. The Conference Board Employment Trends Index increased in, in December. Quote, the Employment Trends Index increased again in December, and based on the latest readings of the index components, job growth is likely to be strong in 2022, said Gad Levanon, head of the Conference Board Labor Markets Institute. Quote, nevertheless, in the very short term, job growth may be tepid as the fallout from Omicron continues, end quote. Secondly, we have from Associated Press, inflation jumped at its fastest pace in nearly 40 years last month, a 7% spike from a year earlier that is increasing household expenses, eating into wage gains, and heaping pressure on President Joe Biden and the Federal Reserve to address what has become the biggest threat to the United States economy. Um, reporters note here from moi uh, might have something to do with the fact that the federal government has been running annual deficits of three trillion over the past two years and that's three trillion each year and finally from market roundup coming from georgia southern university their economic monitor comes out every quarter and the q31 uh, for 2021 brings good news the savannah metro area economy continues to roar back for the fourth consecutive quarter and that is your market roundup for this week All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the topic. Finding your ideal customer. Uh, foundational, really. Uh, we discussed last week the brand. I think that that was really imperative to kick off this series about having a great marketing plan, a great marketing program. You got to know what your identity is. You got to know who you are, right? Because y'all all are talented people who have something to offer. I mean, you really can go all the way back to my my second episode on this podcast at all and talk about personal brands. But this previous one that we did with Sandy was a great one, talked about the corporate brand. What is the company image? You know, what, what are your beliefs? What are your values? What's your story? And then what is your image that represents all that and wraps it up nicely? slogans, taglines, logos, all that good stuff. Now we're going into outside of your four walls. We're going to your customer because you are someone to somebody, but not to everybody. We can't be all things to all people. We all know that. But at the same time, many of us finding ourselves find ourselves operating as if we can be all things to all people or too many things to too many people. And I'm speaking to the choir right now, speaking to myself. We all fall into this, this pit of getting pulled in all these different directions. The more you're focused on the ideal customer, the better results you have. So that's what we're covering the what, the why, the how, and the what then 
of finding your ideal customer so you can develop an awesome marketing plan to execute an even better marketing program, which drives growth for your business this year, 2022. Let's go. So question number one, this is a bunch of questions in this episode because it's all about finding answers to questions, the kind that change a business, the kind that double growth, the kind that double revenue and profits. First question is what data do you want? Okay. So when you're finding uh, your ideal customer, you're going down that very important strategic journey. Question number one is what data do you want? Question number two is why do you want it? And question number three is how do you get it? Then the final question, which is the action, the punch behind this whole exercise, is what do you do with it? So let's go back to question number one. What data do you want? So when you're building um, out a profile, it's, it's, it's called in marketing the ideal customer profile. Uh, you're trying to understand what you need to know about your customer base, more specifically your core core customer or your ideal customer. So you can build out a profile. You can do everything that you do in your company, everything you do in your marketing with that person in mind, right? That's the way the system is supposed to work. Certain data points about the person are going to be more accessible than others. Certain ones are going to be more important than others, right? So you have to think about when you're trying to figure out the information that you want about this customer so you can build out the profile, what information do you want that actually helps you achieve the means to the end, or it becomes the means to the end, which is a better marketing program, more business growth, et cetera, et cetera, right? So... In marketing research, the field that, that, that executes you know, this whole exercise and discipline, there's four general categories, and they can all be beneficial to you know, various ends, right? So uh, when I'm looking with a client or I'm looking at a business, I'm looking at building out that customer profile, getting the data necessary to build out that profile, and then I also want to ask two more questions beyond the who. I want to ask who is this person, who, who? Then I want to ask how. How did they come to me? So th this this is the person. Okay, they're my ideal customer. Then I want to know. Well, especially that I'm, I'm talking to my existing businesses now, my established businesses who have been around for more than five minutes, who actually have a book of business. Um, how did that customer, that ideal one, come to you? That, that's what's called the buyer's journey. That's the second question I want to ask when I'm getting these data points necessary to 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 guide be the compass for my marketing program. The third question, very, very important, we'll cover that in just a moment, is why? That's the why question. What problem is solved by my offering? And I read a, a revolutionary article um, a couple of years ago from the Harvard Business Review, but it was about this very exercise of customer research and companies figuring out, you know, how they differentiate, how they grow, how they have they have successful product launches. What was often getting overlooked when you talk about these different demographics and okay, well, this person is this old or they're this sex or they're this race or they're this, you know, geographic location. That stuff's important, yes. But they would forget, like, okay, why did they choose my product or my offering? What what problem did they have? And then how did my uh my offering come to solve that. So those are the th three questions. Who is the ideal customer? Building out that profile. How did they come to me? The buyer's journey. And then what problem is solved by my offering? That, that's the why. That is the data you want. If you can get that data successfully, that is the bedrock 
of a great marketing program and a great marketing strategy. So let's go into the different kinds of data that you can gather as you're building out the ideal customer profile, the ICP, so we can be all acronym, you know, cool, like uh, the marketing gurus. And number one would be demographic type of information. Um, and this is absolutely imperative. It's that census type data um, stuff that you'll, you'll see gathered in a lot of this. You probably already have about some of your favorite customers. You don't necessarily need to go ask them. You already know, right? You may have not... Uh, quantified it and put it into a list with pie charts and whatnot. But, you know, th this is the stuff that's uh, very important, but, you know, very front and center. So, you know, socioeconomic status, ethnicity, uh, sex, uh, age, you know, or generation more, more, more helpful, a family dynamics. Okay. You know, if your product or service is more oriented towards college kids, that's a completely different marketing program than if you're oriented towards, uh, you know, empty nesters or young families, you know, that whole thing. Then you have category two, which would be psychographic. That's more, in, that's a fancy marketing term for lifestyle stuff. Okay. So, you know, if, if my, um, if I have a food product and it's marketed towards active people who are adventurers, outdoors people, hikers, hunters, okay, that's different than if I'm marketing my food product towards someone who's a grab and go, run off to work, take the daily commute, you know, you got a, you got a, uh, an office warrior kind of person. Those are the different kinds of things, lifestyles, activities, interests, opinions. It could get into politics potentially. There's a lot of different directions that the psychographic stuff can take you. And you you can't know all these things, right? Uh, and, and it's not cost effective to try to get all this information because not all of these things are equally pertinent. So, you know, some of you might be asking, okay, well, out of that stuff, what do I need to ask? It's different for every business, every customer type, every product or offering type. You have to make that decision for yourself. I'm laying out the groundwork for y'all so you can know how to navigate the questions that create the questions for this exercise of building out that profile. So we got demographic, we got psychographic. Here's two more for you. Geographic, okay. Um, obviously, it could be something as simple as zip code, you know, city, state, region. Uh, I got it, okay. But there's also the implications of that. Why would you want to know ge geography beyond just, okay, what's the driving distance from my store? You want to know because there's different cultural considerations depending on different populations in different uh, areas, right? You know, the larger area you're trying to cover, a country, for example, or a continent, the, the, the more heterogeneous it is, the more you have different uh, people groups and a lot of more diversity, the more you go into specific areas like a neighborhood or if you go out to a city, like I was working with one client and we were trying to figure out uh, through research, you know, what specific neighborhoods from, do these people come from? It helps them from a logistical um, service execution standpoint, but it can also help you understand other things about these people's backgrounds and preferences and, and life decisions. So then you get into that that part of the conversations. It could it could uh, uh, involve different traditions, shared traditions amongst communities. It could it it could talk about their needs or their demands. If it's of a more metro area, a heavy traffic area, or if it's got a lot of products and services and conveniences of this type. There's all kinds of stuff that ge geography can be other than a, a mere like driving distance or like, well, this is my area kind of thing. Then finally, we go into uh, behavioral types of data about when you're building out that ideal customer profile. This is decision-making patterns, 
behaviors. Um, it can quickly start to get blended into the psychographic uh, types of to stuff. But there, there is that too. Like, how do people make the decisions? You know, more logical people, more emotional people. Uh, are they making things more from their their work kind of uh, orientation, from their family types of orientation? Like, what drives their decisions and behaviors? Uh, that's a consideration too. So there's your four categories that people generally look at when they're looking at building out the who. I, you know, and then you even name your ideal uh, your ideal customer profile. Like, okay, so my ideal customer profile, and there could be a couple or maybe even three, okay? You, you don't want to go crazy here, but when you're looking at your top, top, top customers, building out that profile, you want to build a named profile or a couple profiles where Jane Doe is my ideal customer. I know the demographic um, information about her, you know, how much money she makes. Is she a mom? Is she single? Is she married? Is she divorced? You know, I, I said she, so, you know, if, 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 are, are you going to male, female equally? Is it really strong towards one versus the other? Um, fi- family dynamics I touched on, age, generation is a very important consideration. And, and knowing that can help you with so many other things involved in the whole marketing program. So that's the first part. Then you go into their lifestyles, you know, activities, their interests. Then you go into geography. Then you go into behavioral. Like I said, you need to think about, okay, if I'm going to ask this question or if I'm going to get this data from this person, be it I already have it somewhere and I need to go look it up or I need to go through the whole process of asking them for it or somehow grabbing it and putting it in some kind of organized list. Um, how does it help me, right? So, you know, for example, like ethnicity. I mean, does re- does it really help you depending on what your product or service is, knowing what the race of your your top customers are? Does that really help you? I would say in most cases, if it then is, if the, if the race is a proxy for potential cultures or traditions or that kind of thing, yeah, it could be or certain, sometimes in healthcare considerations, it could be, but like, just make sure what I'm saying is when, when you're looking at what kind of questions you're going to ask, what kind of data you want to gather to build out that profile, ask yourself the question, how does this piece of data help me? do my job better at marketing my business and helping my ideal customer solve their problem? That's the core, the core question. So that's how you build out the ICP, or at least the kind of questions that you need to be gathering, the kind of data you need to be gathering to build out that profile. The other part that I like to do, because some people will talk about building out the ideal customer profile, I think just as importantly, and I always recommend this to my clients when we go through this exercise, is like, okay, we need to find out who your target customer is, who your best fit customer is, I think it's just as helpful and can be just as easily attained during that exercise if you're willing to do, you know, the serious work is understanding the buyer's journey. So if you're an existing business, okay, if you're if you're a new business, this is a different conversation. We have to go through other uh, exercises. Uh, we don't have the same resources at our disposal. But if you're a, an, an established business, you've got a book of business. You've got happy, loyal customers. You've got experience. You know, you you've got uh, a reputation, and you have these customers. And if you sit down and you ask them, you start to you know read the tea leaves. You'll find some patterns in how these people and why these people came to you and why they continue to be with you. All right. So um, I don't know if you've heard of the buyer's journey. It's basically how does a customer go from not knowing you from Adam 
to becoming a longtime loyal customer. That's one way of thinking about it. And there's generally three stages to that journey. Um, you know, in, in the clean cookie cutter way of looking at things, and I kind of add a fourth uh, for the smart businesses out there. The first one is awareness. Okay, so I go from not knowing who ABC Coffee Company is to now I know that there's ABC Coffee Company. I'm aware of them. I might even know something about them or know what their logo looks like or know where they're based. I'm just aware. Like, hey, I know that there's a ABC Coffee Company down the road off of this road, and I passed it on the way home, and this their logo looks like this, and maybe I even know who owns them. I'm just aware of them. I'm not, they're not, and I'm not thinking any more than that. I just know they exist, which is a big challenge for us small businesses is first thing is you got to, people got to know you exist, right? That brand power kind of thing. Now, then we go into stage two, which is consideration. So your customers that you have in your business, especially when to find out about your core customers, your highest profitability, most loyal customers, how did they come to get to know who you even were? That's a big, big part of the problem, okay? You can't start that funnel before you get them to the very beginning of the funnel, okay? Then consideration. So something happens, you want to find out if possible. What then took them into from a, uh, you know, I'm not really in the market to now I'm in the market. So once they're like, okay, I'm in the market, you know, something happened, now I need to go get a car, so now, what what were the consideration factors? Where did they go to research? What what were their priorities? What were the biggest factors? How did they start to look at your company? What other companies did they look at? Why did they look at them? What made them consider you more in a more detailed fashion? How did they interact with you when they were considering your company? All kinds of questions that can come up from that stage right there. They go from not in the market to in the market. Or potentially in the market, like, oh, that was interesting. I saw that. You know, maybe I should consider getting one of these things that my friends talk about. Okay, that's the whole thing. Then you get to the final part of the race where you bring them to cross the finish line on that very first purchase, that very first part of establishing a paid relationship with you, which is decision. You know, what made them come to the altar, right? What made them actually put money out of their pocket and put it into your pocket and buy your product purchase your service. Okay, what was the what was the ultimate get them across the finish line? How long did it take them to go through that uh, whole journey? You know, depending on your product or in the person, you might find that a lot of people have a very quick process or they're depending on your your product or service, it could be an impulse purchase. For some of these other ones, you know, it, it, you know, it could be a very long, complex, nuanced buyer's journey that takes them from I don't know who you are to I've done business with you. Then I kind of add on, if you have the, the resources and the means, depending on what kind of a company you are, then we have the retention and growth, right? Because I would say the 99% of businesses make their bones on repeat business, right? Not just one-time purchases. And by definition, if we're trying to build an ideal customer profile, we're trying to find out the data about the people who purchase from us all the time, not the fly-by-night passing through customers stopped at my store one time, and then I'll never see them again. Frankly, I'm not, I mean, I like to have that. It's called the gravy on top, but I don't really want to spend time and money um, trying to psychoanalyze them <laughs> to, to, to use some 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 humor uh, uh, to understand them because it's not really going to help me. That you, you can't depend on that business. You got to depend on the business your your eighty twenty rule. The twenty percent of your customers that are bringing in eighty percent of the profits or the or the revenue. So when you uh, go to do this exercise about the buyer's journey, then you can go into those questions. Well, what made you keep coming back? Or how does how's our relationship developed? Or 
you know, as you've continued to do business with us, you know, have you been shopping around or do you, do I get all of your money? Why, why not? whole lot of cool stuff. So when you combine the who, knowing who the ideal customer is, then you compare that with how they came to you. Now you have, I would say 95% or maybe 90% of the makings of great data that can be the bedrock for your entire marketing mix. But there's one other question that I think gets lost in the shuffle. And once again, I'd already hinted at it is what is the problem? What is their problem? that got solved or they saw they hired my product or service to solve that problem for them okay i had this problem the problem is the driving force behind them going from awareness into consideration to decision with you you know that their problem is their problem you know it it is probably at least the way they see it a unique problem right you know if you don't want to be a commodity then you know. Then you need to think about what's their unique problem and how you were the unique solution, or at least they perceived you that way at the time they decided to start having a paid relationship with you. So the more you can find out about that, the better. And you need to hear it from their language in their words because all of us marketing people, especially within a company, we're drinking our own Kool Aid. We get high on our own products and features and all that stuff, and we have a we think we know why everybody loves us and why people want to buy our stuff. But you you you, you uh, <laughs> would be surprised how often people are different than you, right? They might they might come to the same conclusion, but but through a totally different way, or they might buy your product or service for a completely different reason than what you thought they were buying your products or service for. And when you can capture that language and you can capture that mental state that drove them to the decision, made them part of your people, your tribe, your vibe then that's how you can then use that language to drive huge growth and your promotion part of your marketing mix. So that really, but it can affect every single part of the marketing mix. The, the product, what your offering is, uh, you can learn a lot about that. You can learn a lot about placement, strategies and abilities. Same thing with how you promote your, your, your business and same thing with even pricing. Okay, the more you can know about the value, the problem, the solution, that affects every single part of your company if you can capture that all-important why question. All right, so that's part one. What data do you want? Who are they? How do they come to me? What is the core problem that they hired my product to solve? Okay, so these are great data points. I'll quickly want to touch on, though, why do you want it? Because I think you've gathered so far that this is not some five-minute exercise. This is not a Google search, and this is not you know where you throw a, a quick survey monkey thing together, and you push it out, and you all of a sudden have all this. This is a serious strategic exercise. It is going to take time, and it's going to take money, even if you do everything in-house. If you want to do it right, it's going to take that, and, and that's what you need to do in order to get the payoff. So well, let's talk about the business case. Why would I spend significant time and money going through that exercise? Okay, what's the what's the ROI? Well, quickly, the business case is this, okay? Uh, it's going to make your job a lot easier, okay? I'll use a firearms analogy, okay? A lot of us are out there spraying and praying because we're shooting in the dark effectively, Okay, uh, you might be getting some kind of feedback and you think you in general know where the target is, but the more light you can shed on the target and on the bullseye, the fuller bullets you have to burn spraying and praying and you can actually be much more on target with each bullet, which is your precious time and your precious money. Okay, setting your marketing mix. 
uh, going to be a lot easier with that data, the who, the how, and the what. It's going to make you even more focused so you can you can direct the entire orientation of your company. You can make sure you're, you're customer-centric on your type of customer with these precious resources that you have when you're uh, presenting yourself to the outside world to grow your business. You got limited time and money and ability. You got to be focused. The more light you could shed on the target, the more bullseyes you hit. And that goes into the, the dollars and cents way of saying the same thing. If you know uh, your lane, you know your niche because you know your ideal customer, how they came to you, what you mean to them, what your product and service does for them. That means you're going to be able to set a stronger marketing program with a stronger marketing mix, which means you get more revenue per marketing hour or dollar spent. That's the ultimate dollars and cents conversation here. You do this. It doesn't matter if you do it with me or someone else. You, it's this is business one on one kind of stuff. You know, go look at the Small Business Administration when they look at the steps to starting a new business. One of the very first, uh, very first sections in the pathway to starting a business that's going to actually last and be successful is marketing research. Most of us oriented around knowing who your ideal customer is. The end result, you get more money for every hour or dollar you spend. Secondly, you get more great customers because you you know who your exact customer is. You get more of those people. They spend more money with you over a longer relationship. Repeat, and repeat business. Okay, you hear me? And then the final benefit in terms of the dollars and cents business case of why you would go through this exercise of building out an ideal customer profile and doing all this work. You get more customers for the same marketing spend. I don't think anybody who's listening to this podcast, and I certainly don't, have unlimited advertising budgets. So the more hyper-focused you are, the more information you have on the ideal customer, the more you can target those people and not all the other people who aren't good fits for you, who frankly, there are people out there, and I've touched on this in a previous episode, um, you can spend a ton of advertising dollars and trying to reach those people. If they're not your people, they are not going to come, regardless of how funny or high production quality or how many times you hit them with that advertisement or how many events you throw or how many times you have your salespeople call them up. They're not your people. Stop wasting your money and time on them. However, the opposite side of that pendulum is also true. When you're putting the right messaging with the right product and the right place at the right price to the right people, you get more customers for the same marketing spend. Okay, so that's the business case. So let's go into the actual how-to. Let's go into how do you actually get this data that's going to do all these things for me and make my business so much better. Well, it is, and I'll tell you. First part, um, the data sources. That's really what I'm going to cover in the how do you get it. Okay, I can't, I can't, and, and within the time constraints we have here, I can't do an entire class. You're not going to want to listen to it. We don't have time for that. I'm doing the sky-level stuff here. But we're going to talk about three different ways in which you can get this data, or in three different ways in general in which you can get 
any kind of marketing data, marketing research or mar- marketing analysis. First part is, is in-house data, which you absolutely need to start with. Second one, uh, second type of data or data source would be secondary research. I'll go into that in a little bit. And then the third kind is primary research, and we'll spend some time on breaking those in a couple different categories. But it all starts with your in-house data, and here's why. You already own it. You already have access to it. You don't have to pay a dime for it. And I say this as someone who, for a living, has people pay me to do research and gather this data, but it just makes flat business sense. You know, If you've already got it in hand, don't go spending money to go get it a second time. Always exhaust your free, already owned assets before you go invest in new assets and, and uh, data, right? So where could you potentially go where you already have access to this information to f- answer the questions that we talked about? Who is the ideal customer? How do they come to you? What problem do you solve for them? Some of it can be helped out by your point of sale system, right? So if you're retail, for example, your, your point of sale system, it could be your business function software, your, your, your business operation software, okay? If you're more of a medical practice, your, your EMR or whatever your scheduling software is, wherever you're putting the customer data uh, and building out that profile within your database, that is a good place to start. The more comprehensive the data sets, the, the less work you have to do outside of those databases, same thing with customer relationship management system, especially if you have a sales force, especially if you're doing any kind of marketing automation. Uh, if you're using any kind of CRM system, that's exactly what CRM systems are for. Some have better reporting capabilities than others to be able to quantify that and be able to look at a, a, the big picture. But CRM systems can absolutely help to that end, as could accounting software. You know, how do you find out who your core customers are? Who's paying you the most money? You know, where are you getting most of your profit from? Where are you getting most of your revenue from? Uh, you you know that and where the dollars and cents are flowing from, your accounting software can really help with that. Um, I've even touched on an, an article that I read where you know there's next level accounting for those of y'all who can access it. It's more of a mid-sized business service where you know with basic accounting, all the costs get evenly distributed across the board. But just like we don't get all revenue equally from different customers. We have to work more for certain customer spend than other customer spend. So then that affects the profitability conversation. And that's where in a previous episode I've talked about your profit core uh, customers, your profit gravy customers, and your profit vampire customers, right? Just because they're bringing in revenue doesn't mean that you're equally profitable. You know, the more you can crunch the numbers and, and, and do the bean counting on that, that can be a big part of how you know who you need to talk with, how you know how you, how you build out the, the the list of who is the best customers. That's a good starting point. And then there's your your knowledge. Well, depending on, on, on how big your business is, how involved you are in the day-to-day, if you're the marketing director or you're the owner or you're the CEO, um, you you know who your top customers are. And, and so there's obviously that uh, in-house knowledge that's right inside your brain. So you combine all that together with point of sales, CRM, accounting, line of business, and then your own knowledge, you probably got a really good start to knowing what data you're still lacking and you, you could very well know with whom you need to speak when you're going through this exercise, at the very least. And once again, you own it and it's free. That's the first thing you should be doing. I'll say that's your, all your first-party data. The second part of that conversation is also free, is third-party data. So you could look at your website analytics. You could look at social media analytics. I use them all the time for my clients. And you know they're usually pretty darn accurate to help you understand who your audience is. Maybe not necessarily your core customers, but it could add a piece to the puzzle 
when you're building out your client profiles, your buyer's journey, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that third party data could help you build out that map and give it more context. Okay, so that's in-house data. You start there and see how far that gets you. Part two, then you look at data that already exists. You don't have to do the work to go find it, but it's not in your hands. Some of it's going to be free. Some of it's going to be paid. So, you know, that's something that you'll have to, you know, make that evaluation. So uh, I'll quickly touch on this because in my personal opinion, and I'll explain it, you know, I don't think secondary research is going to be as helpful to you in building out an ideal customer profile, but in other marketing exercises and strategy, you know, discussions, it can be much more accommodating. So you you have stuff like Census Bureau, Bureau of Labor Statistics, Bureau of Economic Analysis. There's all these different government entities that collect this data for free or like, you know, it's their job and they publicly display it because it's public knowledge. That kind of stuff you can obviously get for free. Now, obviously, you know, uh, a lot of this free stuff, and you'll even see it on the private side with with private research companies like Nielsen or J.D. Power, Gartner, they'll put out reports, different industry-specific research forms. There's a lot of free data you can get from them because they're, you know, they're releasing uh, press releases. They're not going to charge you for the reports, although some of them do have paid reports. What I was ultimately getting at is these are great data sources, but they're obviously not going to be more specific to your specific business world, right? They're talking about the world, the business world, not your business world. So, you know, that kind of data can be helpful potentially with, you know, entering in new markets, maybe potentially launching new products. And it comes to mapping out a really accurate picture of your ideal customer, you're, you know, you're probably going to have very limited abilities with secondary research. There are some resources out there that could help you with that on a more general term. But once again, you know, the 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 more generic the the data, the less helpful it's going to be with the more specific nuances that really are are the driving force between the biggest profitability gains, right? Um, and then there's also libraries, basic Google searches. Y'all y'all do market research all the time. Every time you go on Google, you might not realize it, but um, that's secondary research right there, okay? Now we're getting into the crux, the third category of how do you get it, in-house data, then secondary research. Now we're going into what's called primary research. And that's probably where you're going to need to spend the bulk of your time and resources to really get that complete picture of that super valuable, profitable, who is the ideal customer, how did they come to me, and what problem do I solve for them? So that means you got to go out and you got to do it yourself. It doesn't exist. You've got to do the work yourself. And namely with this exercise right here, this is one of the most likely instances of what you're going to have to do some work yourself to uncover the data because there's it's just not there in a pretty little report waiting for you to pull off the shelves. Okay, even the, the more comprehensive POS systems, accounting software, CRMs, they're not going to have all the answers you want. So you got to finish the rest of that story. So how do you go get that data, right? So you know that you're going to need to figure out who you need to speak with. I've already kind of told you how you can start to identify who do you want to talk with, right? So then how do you then get the information from them? The first one that you automatically were thinking inside your heads or maybe you said out loud was surveys, right? You email them a survey, right? Build a survey, you ask them a que- you ask them question, 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 mostly close-ended with multiple choice. You'll have a couple right in the comment box towards the end and then bada bing, bada boom, you know, you've, you've done it, okay? That's one option. 
There's a couple other options which are the most prominent. This is not an exhaustive list of every type of research vehicle, but the two other most common ones are focus groups and one-on-one uh, one -on -one interviews. Okay. Surveys are great. Uh, I'll say that, but I will say that one thing I'd like to just give you all as friendly uh, experience advice is that uh, surveys are limited, right? None of these are perfect vehicles. Surveys are great because they're very scalable, right? If I need to talk to 100 people, I don't know that, you know, it's going to be very expensive and time consuming to do anything but a survey. Surveys are very scalable. Uh, it's very quick to gather the data because you've already set up the system and then boom, they enter in the information and then it's all quantifiable, which is really helpful. That's where you get the cool stats from because it's, it, it's descriptive research. It's describing out of this sample, out of this, you know, um, out of this sample, this survey of a larger group, uh, you know, how do you, how do you describe the territory? Now, the problem becomes in the challenge, I'm not saying it means you can't use a survey when you're trying to do this exercise of finding your ideal customer, but part of what it, it, it lacks is you basically have to know what you're looking for and you already have to kind of know uh, what what to ask before you ask it. So when you're getting into the nuances of who people are, something super intimate and specific to that person, how are you going to put all of those questions and all those data points into choose A, B, C, or D? You get where I'm going with this, right? You, you, you might find yourself using the open comment boxes to the point where it becomes, it kind of takes away that power of the survey where you got the nice closed loop questions, the very quantitative answers, the very descriptive, large scale, easy to digest kind of thing because a lot of the work's done for you. Okay. So we might need, because this is more exploratory type research, we don't know what we don't know. So we're trying to ask the people so we know even what we're trying to get at. When you're getting into these individuals and knowing who they are, their driving motivations, what they don't tell you when they come to the store, that's more of an exploratory process. So do I like surveys for that exercise? Yes, but I like them piggybacking off of one-on-one -on -one interviews if the budget and time can allow it. That's where you're going to get the most accurate results. And I'll go ahead and jump the gun real quick and just tell y'all one of the rules of marketing research is that your marketing research can be accurate, it can be cost-effective or, or low-cost, and it can be fast. You can get the results fast. You can have two of those three. You can't have all three. There is no such thing as market research that is highly accurate and was really low-cost, and you got it super fast. You're going to have to choose two of the three and be willing to compromise the other one. So for those who want it to be really accurate, right, um, and, and especially if they want it to be, you know, uh, in a timely fashion and they want really good accuracy, you're probably going to want to consider at least with a small sample size out of that list to do some one-on-one -on -one interviews so that you can have a better understanding of what kind of closed loop questions that you can ask so then everybody can fit neater into boxes that the surveys naturally demand. Okay. Now I'll quickly say with focus groups, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of focus groups for this kind of exercise because what are we doing? We're asking individuals about individuals. So if you got five people all sitting in a room on a panel, then you start to get group think and then people don't want to obviously tell as much about themselves when they're around other people. It creates all kinds of issues. Focus groups are awesome. 
um, for certain things and not awesome for other things, focus groups, probably not your best pathway to building out an ideal customer profile. My ideal pathway, just so y'all know, is to do some one-on-one interviews with your top, 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 and then with your your bigger group of your core customers, your top customers, then you can launch uh, a survey to kind of fill out the bulk of the answers or to get some more quantitative scale to go in with that intimate one-on-one time that you're able to do through the one-on-one interviews where you can get all these individual answers that can only be answered by individual conversations. You know what I'm saying? Um, Some final considerations for y'all before we go into the action part of this whole conversation. Other things that y'all need to think about is, you know, your your scale. So there's something that's talked about in research uh, sample size, right? So if I was, you know, you know, for example, you hear about it in different political um, polls. Political polling is a is a very popular uh, research uh, endeavor, and it's gotten a lot of attention in recent years in terms of its accuracy. One of the things you need to be looking at with any kind of research, whether it's Pew Research or political Gallup polls, is what's the sample size, right? So, uh, for once once again, for most of y'all, it's not going to be cost effective to do this exercise with every single one of your customers. Maybe not even every single one of your top 20% customers. So then you have to figure out, okay, what is a representative sample that gives me the accuracy that I'm willing to pay for and I'm willing to take enough time to achieve? Okay, so you're going to have to think about that. And that goes hand in hand with the vehicles that you choose, be it survey or one-on-one interviews or focus groups or a combination. Okay. The other thing is how much of their time are you going to be asking, right? So people are much more willing to take a two-minute survey than they are a 20-minute survey, right? The more time that you ask of them, the fewer people who are going to be willing to participate or at least the fewer people who are going to be willing to participate without some kind of, you know, uh, pro bono, you know, or, or quid pro quo. What is the compensation, right? So if I'm asking someone to take a five-minute uh, email survey from the convenience of their living room on their phone, that's a different ask than if I'm going to ask a, a, one of my top customers to sit in a conference room where they're being videoed and recorded and I need them for two hours, you know, in person, not, you know, there's, there's ways you can do it digitally, but you know, if that's, those are two different asks, then you have to think about compensation, right? What's the incentive? I have to have certain incentives depending on how much I'm asking. Now, you know, Jess Belfry on a previous uh, episode talked about some of this stuff to know your niche, know your lane. And she talked about, you know, in, in general, you know, you, you don't have to go crazy with compensation because, your core customers who generally do care about you and when you approach them authentically and you're saying, hey, I want to be better, help me be better, they're going to respond to your survey or to your research. But everything is, you know, in in conjunction with other things. So it depends on how much you're asking of them. And then I would say, finally, uh, if you're going to do interviews, for example, where you don't just, you know, create a survey, send them the survey, um, you know, do you want to handle that yourself? Do you feel like you're in a position to where... If you do, for example, one-on-one interviews with your top 10 or top 20 customers, do you feel like if you're the person asking the questions and you own the company or you're the CEO or whatever, that they're going to answer you uh, and tell you what you need to know rather than what you want to hear? That's an important question. Or do you need to bring in an outside person who can be that outside mediator that they'll be more naturally willing to open up and tell you the the good, the bad, and the ugly? Because you need to know the ugly and the bad just as much as you need to know the good. Okay, so that's another factor. 
So let's finally, let's wrap it home with, um, you know, what do you do with it? So let's just say that everything goes beautifully. You get all that data. You understand, you know, who is my ideal customer. You get the information on how did they come to me. You get the information on, you know, what was that problem that I was able to solve for them? You know, why did they hire my product or service? You get all that. What now? You've done your analysis. you got your report. Okay, here's the data. Is it the law? You know, is it the Ten Commandments here? Um, I would say just one thing to remember: everything is in context, and nothing is the end-all, be-all. You know, uh, and I would say in almost every single case, you're not taking a census; it, you're doing a survey sample. Okay, so you know, nothing is truly representative. All right, not even the Census Bureau and their ten-year, um, you know, census is truly 100% representative. So there's going to be the gray area, no matter how much money and time you spend into this exercise, there will still be some gray area. So it, it becomes a balancing act of balancing the objective data and, and knowing how accurate you can reasonably expect it to be based off of all these other things. And then there comes the other factors like your past experience, your instincts, uh, what you're hearing, you know, what your people are telling you. Um, I say that you're much better off when you have the objective data that you were able to ascertain from that research exercise, assuming you get a decent amount of accuracy and sample size. That objective data can be a great companion to you making the final call. So I'm not anti-instincts, and, and I'm not here telling you, you know, you are a servant to whatever the data says, because once again, no, no data set is 100% representative and accurate. But I would, that's just kind of like a caveat when you're then going to look at it and use it to guide your marketing program, your marketing mix. But it absolutely can do that if you do it right. It can help you understand when you understand who these people are and all that stuff, uh, how you should be marketing your products, what kind of products you, sh you should offer, uh, how you can kind of craft an experience around that product or service. Uh, if you have multiple products, you know, which are the ones that are your leaders, you know, how, how do they see that product? Same thing with placement. You can help you, uh, optimize your delivery channels, be it e-commerce versus brick and mortar channel versus direct the time of the week in which you're offering your services, geographical and logistical considerations. Uh, it can really help you with setting the promotion. That's where I think it's really, really huge. You know, when it comes to advertising, your core messaging, your value propositions, the way you talk about their problems to relate with them, uh, you know, the brand image that you decide to set, that can really guide it because then you're able to speak to them in their own language rather than your your marketing speak. Okay. And then that can absolutely help out with pricing. That's your whole marketing mix. You know, if you're also considering it with the alternatives, the competitive factors, you know, that socioeconomic data, that hearing their story about how they considered you and came to you, you know, wherever they mentioned price, the, you know, ultimately their problem, your solution, that whole value proposition, the way they saw it, that can absolutely help you set your price. So you go through this exercise properly, then here's the end result. A best fit customer centric marketing strategy program that drives faster, smoother growth. And that's what finding the ideal customer through that exercise can do for you this year. You can start right now.
So that uh, pretty much wraps what I wanted to discuss today. I know I made everybody drink from a fire hose, but it's a really important conversation. It needs to be at the very beginning of this whole marketing journey and business growth journey that we're all taking this year. Um, What I was basically touching on towards the end there is uh, that then needs to, that data needs to make its way into the marketing plan. And, and you need to have a plan, right? What what is a what is a uh, a goal without a plan? It's just it's just a wish, right? Okay, but then when you when you take that wish or that dream and you add a plan to it, now it's a goal. It's an objective. So that's what we'll discuss next week. Y'all are gonna have to stick with me for one more week before we start to go to some more outside experts. So I'm gonna be talking to y'all about the strategic marketing plan, what needs to be included in it. And I'm not gonna make it overcomplicated. I want it to be very simple and repeatable and effective for y'all. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Really had fun with y'all today talking about research. That's obviously one of my favorite uh, topics and ideal customers. But remember, you know, this podcast is one of two ways that I like to pay it for with the Good Morning Market programming. Um, The second one is through email. So every single week I do an email newsletter for business leaders so they can get the national local economic news as well as some uh, thought leadership articles when it comes to business management, marketing strategy. I usually put some other content on there. I release that every Friday a.m. that has even more detailed news and insights for those who want it. You can get on to soulinsights.com S-O-L-I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S.com if you'd like to subscribe for free. Um, And please as all Always, you know, uh, contact me with e- uh, via email, philip at soulinsights.com with any feedback you have, uh, recommendations for guests on the program. Uh, and also, hey, if you, if you enjoy this, um, you know, I would love to get the word out there, share it with other colleagues and, and friends that you think would also enjoy Good Morning Market. And y'all have a good week. Remember, in order to lead your market, you must first hear and know your market.